For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. When trouble flares up, do you develop tunnel vision? Do you get so focused on your problems that you can no longer see God's provision? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers biblical tools for adjusting your focus and seeing God clearly, even in seasons of trial. From the series, When Your World Falls Apart, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, When God Delays. Well, you know, sometimes we ask God for something, we present our case to Him, and it's like God doesn't hear us, or we keep looking for the answer, and it doesn't come. Uh, There's a chapter in a new book I just finished called The Great Disappearance, and the title of that chapter is Why the Delay? God has promised He's coming back. He promised that when the writers of the New Testament were penning this book, but He hasn't come back yet. Why the delay? Why doesn't God answer? Why doesn't God answer your prayers or mine when we want him to? We're talking about that today, and uh, we talked about it yesterday. Let me remind you, our struggle happens when God delays and we feel forgotten, and then we feel forsaken, and sometimes we feel frustrated. But God hasn't forgotten us. He will answer in his time, in his own way, and we need to trust him. More about that in just a moment. Friends, we are so excited about the opportunity God has given us to lead a tour to the Holy Land, and we'll be doing that in March of next year. The 12th through the 22nd are the dates, and uh, we are seeing an, an a very robust response to this. We are going to have a lot of folks go with us to the Holy Land, and we're going to run out of hotel rooms, uh, or so they tell us, before we run out of anything else. And if you haven't already registered and you want to go with us, I suggest you get your reservation squared away and join us. There's a number of levels you can uh, you can travel on, but we will all be together for some of the major things that happen over there. And uh, you will never forget your tour to the Holy Land, March 12th through the 22nd and 2024. Just around the corner from us, there's still time for you to go. Go to davidjeremiah.org slash events. All the information you need, you will find there. Also, don't forget to order your copy of the book, Sleep on This, which is our resource for the month of August. Uh, These are flying out of here because everybody seems excited to find out how I can read the Word of God and learn how to sleep better. It's better than a pill. It's better than medicine. It's the Word of God. And we packaged it in such a way that it will be extremely helpful to you. This beautiful book has a reading for every night when you get ready to sleep. And uh, in case you don't feel like reading it yourself... We have a reader, and all you do is click on the QR code, and he reads it for you. And I've mentioned to you, he's got a great bedtime voice. It will soothe your nerves and help you get ready to sleep. I would love to give you this beautiful book. It's a beautifully uh, adorned gift book, and it's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of August. So get your gift in the mail, and we'll be ready to send this book to you in response. Here we go now with part two of When God Delays from Psalm 13. 
most of us will probably not have human enemies like David, although you may have some, I don't know. But we do have an enemy, don't we? My friend, we have an enemy who's worse than any of the enemies David would ever have or anyone else would. We have an enemy. He's called the devil. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that we're to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, goeth about seeking whom he may, what class? Devour. He chases us down. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been chased down by the enemy, but he's relentless. And you wonder, Lord, how am I ever going to get victory over this sin, this temptation, this problem, perhaps this addiction? I'm doing everything I know how to do, but he's so powerful. That's where David was. He was frustrated by his enemy. Look back at it and notice how honest he is as he describes what he's feeling in this time of being a fugitive from the most powerful man on earth. Well, I'm glad the psalm doesn't stop there. We get to the next section and we see what our supplication should be when God delays. How should we pray? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to remind you of a truth that I've learned very recently. And that is this, that we never pray like we ought to pray until we get desperate to pray. You know, you can't teach somebody to pray out of a book. Can't teach them how to pray in a classroom. You can't bring them to church and sit them in pews and tell them to pray and then they're going to go pray. Let me tell you when you pray. And God will make sure that you all get to the school sometime. You pray when you get desperate. Can I get a witness? Oh, I mean, you say prayers before you get desperate, but you pray when you get desperate. Lord, I don't know what to do. You've got some disease you didn't expect. You've got some difficulty you didn't expect. All of the thoughts you had about resolving this issue are already tried and proven false. And now you're saying, well, man, I don't know what to do. I'm reduced now to the most powerful influence in the world. I'm going to have to pray. Look at the words in this psalm. There's a little word that's repeated three times in the next section. It's the word lest, L-E-S-T. It's a conditional word. And it kind of gives you the idea of the foundation of David's prayer. He says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. David was so worn out and drawn out emotionally by his running away from Saul that he thought he was ultimately going to die. He thought this was going to be his end. The thought of an approaching death was a motivation. Then he feared his own defeat. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. There's the word lest again. As we learned in the earlier part of the psalm, David has allowed himself to be convinced that he is going to lose the battle with Saul, that Saul's going to win, he's going to lose, he's going to be captured. Even though he can't put it together that he's going to be the next king, he thinks Saul's going to take him out. And David feared his own disgrace, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. He realized that his struggle with Saul was on display for all of Israel to witness, and he feared that in his defeat he would be disgraced and the enemies of his God would rejoice in his demise. And out of those three fears, he prayed. Let's be honest. He didn't pray necessarily because he was a godly man, although he was in his heart. He prayed because he was desperate. And I've noticed how God loves to steer us into that cul-de-sac. Have you? Get us into that corner where the only way out is the way up where the only resource is the resource. And then we get serious about praying. If you're going through a time of trouble right now, a time of difficulty, if you fit into this psalm, as some of you surely do, as perhaps all of us in some way do, don't rail against God for what he's done to bring you to this place, but ask him how you can learn to be his child and be desperate in prayer and never cease to be desperate in your praying. Oh, Lord God, I can't get through one day without you. 
Lord, I can't make it through these next hours without you. I can't face these challenges without you. When we get desperate, we pray. Oh, Lord, help me. And his prayers are threefold as well. He prayed three prayers. First of all, he said, Lord, consider me. The word actually means look on me. He said, Lord, don't turn your back on me anymore. Turn around and look at me and see me. He was convinced that God had turned his back on him. And he's saying, God, please turn around and look at me again. Consider me. He says, and Lord, hear me. David is pleading with God to answer his questions. Lord, please hear what I'm saying. And then there's a very interesting third request. He said, Lord, enlighten mine eyes. And when I first read that, I thought that meant, Lord, show me what you're doing. But it doesn't mean that at all. It means, Lord, put the light back in my eyes. How many of you know when you go through depression, the light goes out of your eyes? You know, you go to the doctor, they take a little light and they look in your eyes because you can tell a lot about the health of a person by his eyes. When a person is deeply depressed, the light goes out of their eyes. Their countenance becomes kind of a mask and sometimes almost a stare. David said, Lord God, this is where I am. I've been chased all over by this man. I don't have any hope of it being any different. But Lord, please look on me. And Lord, hear me. And oh God, put the light back in my eyes. He prayed. And there's something that happens here that's almost non-secular. If you read the Bible and you ask questions, you think, you know, does this belong somewhere else? Because we get now to the last two verses of the psalm and we've heard these cries from this tortured man. We've heard his prayers to God and his fears. And then all of a sudden in these last two verses, it's almost like somebody turned a switch and David becomes no longer morose and emotionally discouraged, but he becomes a man of praise and triumph before God. Notice the focus of his prayer is the key. For if you go back and notice in the end of this little section we just read, you will see that there's a little phrase in there where David gets his eyes off of his trouble and gets his eyes back on God. The focus of his prayer is, oh Lord, my God. David nailed his emotions to this truth. He called upon God. He called upon the power of God. He began to realize that Jehovah Elohim was his God. In the praying of his prayer to God, in the bringing of his petitions to God, He began to look away from his problems and he began to see God high and lifted up. He called him Jehovah Elohim. Jehovah is the power name for God. Elohim is the promise name for God. He said, oh God of power and promise, I appeal unto you. And I think his mind went back to the promise that was given him that he should ascend to the throne that he would be the next king of Israel. Though he didn't understand all the circumstances through which he had been put, he knew that God had promised him something and the God who had promised was powerful enough to carry it through. And he got his eyes on the Lord. I love Jeremiah 20, verse 11. When you're going through these difficult times, it goes like this. The Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. 
Or here's another promise from Psalm 138, verses 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, Lord, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. David got his eyes off of his trouble and onto the Lord. And I will tell you something. That's not a simple process, is it? You have to honestly Get on your face before God and say, Lord God, I'm all messed up right now. I've let my emotions take over in my life and I've let these troubles come in on top of me and just overwhelm me. And I don't know what to do and I know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. But Lord God, in the midst of all of this, help me to see my mighty awesome one, Jehovah Elohim. When you begin just to get a little glimpse of him, things start to turn. There's a threefold progression in this psalm. It starts with tears and it ends with triumph. But in the middle is the truth. And the truth is, Jehovah Elohim, Almighty God, is in charge. No wonder David breaks out into song. So we come to these last verses and we see the song when God delays. The journey from tears to triumph always goes through the house of truth. When David finally gets his eyes off of Saul and onto Jehovah Elohim, he is able to rejoice again. What a powerful reminder to all of us today. Looking on our troubles will only make those troubles grow in our eyes. I was talking to a friend of mine who runs an establishment where people come every day to work out. Sometimes people come there who have gone through stress and trouble, oftentimes through a divorce or the dissolution of a home. And he told me that oftentimes they get together and they begin to talk about their problems and the problems get worse. The more you talk about the difficulty, the more you enhance it. And how many of you know when you're talking with a friend about a difficulty and they tell you about their difficulty, then you've got to come back and remind them and help them understand that while they may be going through difficulty, your difficulty is more difficult than their difficulty. <laughs> Isn't that true? So before we know it, our problems are bad enough, but we start adding layers to it. We start adding verses to the song and the problems get worse and worse. We start talking to all the people that we know about all the problems that we have. And we start making them worse instead of seeking to find God in the midst of them. There's an old proverb that says, when you sing to the Lord, you pray twice. David's gonna sing now to God. Listen to his words of singing. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. His song is a song of triumph. How did he get to triumph in the midst of all this torture? He began to see God. You see? The one thing you want to avoid. What I don't ever understand, I never will understand that when people start going through trouble at home or trouble at work or whatever, one of the first things they stop is going to church. Have you ever noticed that? Why aren't you going to church? Well, we're having trouble in our marriage. My goodness, get up early and come to both services. <laughs> you know? Come to night service. We'll start an extra service. I mean, the one thing you don't want to do when trouble comes is put God on the side. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. It ought to drive you toward God, not away from him. David finds God, and all of a sudden, in the midst of finding God, he begins to sing this song of triumph. And he says, I have trusted in your mercy, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. How many of you know that salvation is not only salvation from sin and salvation from Satan, but it's also often salvation from situations? 
God can not only save you from sin and from Satan, he can save you from the situation you're in if you'll ask him to. And I think David's here talking about salvation from his situation more than anything else. Saying, God, I'm triumphing now. Now notice, has anything changed about David's life? Has Saul quit chasing him? Has David gotten some new guns? (laughs) Has another army come to help him? No, nothing's changed about his circumstances. Except that he's now come to understand that nothing has changed about God either. (laughs) That God is changeless. And the God that he serves is able to deliver him. So confident is he about his deliverance that he sings about it in the past tense. God, you've delivered me. Are you delivered? No, but in my heart and in my mind, I see the deliverance coming and I'm claiming it for God and I'm saying God has delivered me. It's not only a song of triumph, but it's a song of thanksgiving. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Have you noticed that in almost every psalm we have studied so far, somewhere in the psalm, there's a little reminder that if you want to stay healthy as a Christian, you need to go back and remember what God's done for you. You need to polish the monuments of the great victories in your life. Once again, one of the reasons for keeping a journal, it helps you to do that. David said, I remember now how God has dealt bountifully with me. And I think David went back and began to think about that day out in the field when he stood in front of that giant with just a little slingshot and five smooth stones and God took out that nine foot six giant with one shot and preserved Israel. Or the time when God preserved him against the animals when he was watching over the sheep. Or how God had miraculously preserved him when Saul could have killed him and God had taken him out of his hand. He began to look back over his shoulder and he thought, you know, I don't have to worry too much about what God's gonna do in the future because I know what God has done in the past. You know, sometimes when we get into protracted trouble, we get so caught up in the present. And you can't see where you're going when you get caught up in the present. Or then we get into worry, which is occupation with the future. You can't change the future because you're not there yet. The only thing that you have for sure in the midst of difficulty is the absolute certainty of what God has done for you in the past. Amen? Has he saved you? Absolutely. Has he brought you into a church where God's word is taught? Has he given you Christian friends? Has he helped you with health problems? And you can go back and make your own list because everyone has one. My friend, when you get into the worry over the future and the discouragement over the present, take a good look at the past, which is forever written in granite and cannot be changed. It was a song of thanksgiving. This little paradigm is found often in the Psalms. And let me just give you two other places where you will see it. Psalm 40. Read what it says in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry and he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps and he put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Psalm 28, 7 is like it. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices and with my song I will praise him. Hmm. Doesn't it seem strange to you that in this psalm that's so filled with the misery of this man of God, there is this final note of triumph and trust and praise to the Almighty One? Don't look at it as strange. Look at it as the way it should be. We often think that praise and worship is only in moments of great victory and times of great success, but praise and worship belongs right where it is. And I was reminded as I studied this of another Old Testament story where this is so wonderfully illustrated. It is 
found in an Old Testament book that I'm not going to ask you to find because it's buried in the Minor Prophets. It's the book nobody wants to even try to pronounce. It's the book Habakkuk. And in this book, this little-known book of the Old Testament, there is the story of a man, a prophet by the name of Habakkuk, who lived at a time when the people of God were straying away from the holy principles of the Lord. They had gotten so far away from the God of Israel. And Habakkuk was the prophet. He was the preacher. In essence, it would be like being the pastor of a church like Shadow Mountain that had stood for the word of God. And all of a sudden, over a period of time, there was a drift away from that. And all the people who came to church, or the vast majority of them, no longer cared about God, didn't bring their Bibles, didn't want anything to do with the word of God, weren't living for God, were divorcing one another and living like the world. The prophet Habakkuk stood in the presence of such a people and he cried out to God, God, what are you going to do about this? And in the first chapter, in verse 2, almost sounds like Psalm 13. He cries out, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Lord, you're not listening. You don't even care. And finally, when God did answer Habakkuk, He gave him an answer that was veiled. And then when he began to understand the veiled answer, it was the worst possible truth that Habakkuk could ever have imagined. For instance, in that same chapter, the Lord speaks. And he says to Habakkuk, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. What kind of an answer is that? Lord, what are you doing? Well, he says, just kind of look around and see, because what I'm going to do, you're not going to believe. And he was right. Habakkuk couldn't believe it. You know what he did? He told him that he was going to use the Chaldeans, a nation that was 30 times more evil and wicked than the people of Israel. He was going to use that nation to judge the people of Israel. He was going to bring them against the people of Israel, and he was going to use them to punish them. And I can just see this prophet of God putting his hands over his head and saying, oh my goodness, Lord. The problem was bad enough. The answer is even worse. And the rest of this little three-chapter prophet is back and forth between the prophet and God trying to resolve this conflict of seeming distorted values. He can't make any sense out of it all. Why would God do that? Why would God take somebody more evil than the evil that I've talked to him about and use that person to judge the evil person? Why would he do that? And he never really comes to any settled conclusion except that God is God. But you know where he ends up? At the end of his prophecy, he comes to this conclusion. Let's read it out loud together. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no blood, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. He made a choice, didn't he? In the midst of the confusion, the answers that he didn't understand, the trouble all around him, the ungodliness of the people, when there didn't seem to be any resolution that he could get his arms around and tie up, he said, you know what? I have one thing I know to do. I can praise God. I'm going to tell you what. If everything around me comes unglued, if everything falls apart, I am going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. You say, Pastor, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't have anything to do with feelings. It's a choice we make. 
in the midst of difficult news and difficult problems and long drawn out challenges, we make the choice. We can either gripe and complain and get involved with everyone, making it worse than it ever should be, or we can lift up our eyes to the Lord and say, God, I don't know what's going on here and I don't truly understand it, but I have decided this. I will put my trust in you and I will praise you with all of my heart. God, who has been there for you in the past, is the God who is going to be there for you in the future and will bring to resolution in his own time, according to his own purposes, that thing in your life that you don't know what to do with. Let me tell you something I've learned more recently in a new way. God isn't as much interested in our circumstances as we are. He's interested in our character. We're all caught up in the circumstances. God's caught up in our character. And he will allow the circumstances for the higher good of our character until he's finished. But he never waits too long. He's never late. He'll be there just when you need him. So don't give up and don't despair. And when we look back on these moments, we will say, I grew more during that time than any other time. Trusting God in the dark, that's faith. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about worship in times of trouble. What do you do when trouble comes and how can worship be an asset for you? That's tomorrow on the Friday edition of Turning Point. I hope you'll join us then. I've been telling you uh, recently about the opportunity we have to take you and your friends to the Caribbean at the end of this calendar year. The dates are December 27th through January 7th. Uh, it's an 11-day cruise, and we will see some beautiful places. Repackaging what we learned from the old year and dreaming about the things that God's going to do in the new year. Come go with us. You'll find it to be really helpful. See you next time. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If your faith is growing through this ministry, we'd love to hear from you. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This, a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand on any screen with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series When Your World Falls Apart on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you searching for a way to begin each day filled with energy and joy? It starts by saying good night to restless sleep. In his book, Sleep on This, Dr. David Jeremiah provides nightly readings to help quiet our minds and calm our spirits. And when you donate $75 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you a special set that includes this book and material from the series, When Your World Falls Apart. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. 
Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Johann Sebastian Bach, the brilliant German composer, had an unusual habit. At the top of a sheet of music, he would write the letters JJ, Latin for Jesus Help Me. At the bottom of each sheet, he would write SDG, Latin for Sola Dea Gloria, to God be the glory. Bach believed the sole purpose of music is to glorify God. That is certainly consistent with the Apostle Paul who wrote, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Think about that today as you go about your work or play. Ask Jesus to help you do it all for God's glory. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to glorify God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.